stopped. We can't be there yet, surely. Jonathan, why is Don't he... Don't worry. I'll get to the bottom of this. I say, what's wrong? Is there a problem? This be as far as we'll go. What? Now look here. I paid you good money to take us to the podcast, and I'm bloody sure you... Hate me. Horses won't go no further. Can't say I blame them, neither. What on earth do you mean? Warned you back at the tavern. Harder to drive him the closer we gets to all that boozing and bad language. But we had those in the inn, surely? Ho, oh, oh, ho, not like this and you didn't. It's not just the drunken swearing, see? It's the nostalgic inaccuracies, too. Getting all sorts wrong and not even knowing it. Ain't no normal podcast like you'll be getting off the radiogram. I know, that's precisely why we're really going there. You mark my words. Mount Peg Towers is no place for good folk. This be as far as I can take you. Well, I've never heard anything so ridiculous in all my... Come along, Barbara. I can see the podcast in the distance. We'll walk. Driver, our bags, if you will, and I'll have two of those shillings back. What's going on? Oh, it's grim out here. Are we really going to... It's this fellow. He's seen our clothes, taken our money, and thinks we're too soft to handle a bit of profanity. Well, really, what a cheeky... Tonight on Peggy's Haunted Podcast. Sat there tea time, I dropped my sausage sandwich. This was a dream. <laughs> because what? This is them combined? This could, this could only be more this could only be more northern if it was then eaten by the whippet. <laughs> yeah. I was concerned, <clears throat> to be fair, when he first came out of the uh, Freudian entrance. I thought he was gonna smash his neck on the steps because the Cuban heels on it. <laughs> The Cuban heels. I bet that's a four-inch stacked heel. Go for it, Teddy, baby. Ted's literally got a voice in his ear going, give them the watches. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you read out the bit that says it's not a thousand pound. Welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour, the first of our Halloween specials. I'm Dr. Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here, this time, to talk about some Halloween telly. Yes, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for our creepy cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved murder axe is never far from our winds, because here, all windswept roads lead to the rain-lashed mountain. If you slither over to PeggyMountPod.com, info links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or to suggest programmes you would like us to cover. Not for Halloween, just generally. And before we raise our stakes and boot open the coffin, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what is it a drink around here? Bear with me, I'll find out. Let's see if we can get some decent service around here. Enter. Wash the pants. Get the drinks. Get this lump. Here are your drinks, masters. Thank you, Lump. Uh, Blackout, what do you fancy? Uh, I think I shall go for... Uh, 
a bottle of King Goblin. Good choice, good choice. And I think I will go for... You know, it's Halloween, full of spirits, right? So I'm going to go for... I'll have a gin, please. He double or a single master. Bottle. Hendrix. <laughs> yes, master. That's marvellous. Thank you very much, Lump. You can be on your way now. We've got things to do. Yes, master. Lump, you're spilling that. You're spilling it. Where did, where did we find him? Is he from the agency? Mm. I hope you both enjoy your drinks. <laughs> Nuts. So, blackout, drinks in hand. Um, let's let's dig up the first of tonight's plots. From the monsters of the past comes a new generation dedicated to reversing the evil image of their forefathers. Under the leadership of none other than Count Dracula, known as Big D, three teenagers form the Dugurder group, named the Dracula. With special powers, they can transform into super mighty monsters and use their skills against all evildoers, especially the... Drac Pack was a one-season animation which was produced in 1980 by Hanna-Barbera. It follows the teenaged Drac Jr., Frankie and Howler, the present-day descendants of Universal Monsters Dracula, Frankenstein's Monster and the Wolfman, respectively. In this iteration, the trio are dedicated to doing good deeds despite their horrific lineage and find themselves in constant battle against Dr. Dredd, an evil genius who comes up with plans to take over or just ruin the world, assisted by his minions Toad, Fly, his enforcing Mummy Man and the slightly disdainful Vampira. Broadcast in the UK on Children's BBC in April 1982, the episode we've watched is the very first one, Colour Me Dreadful, where the eponymous Doctor has developed a ray gun which removes the colour from anything in its path. Obviously, it's up to the Drac Pack to put a stop to this before things get out of hand. Yeah. Okay. Nine-year-old me. Nine-year-old me in 1982 loved all things horror. Loved it, loved it, loved Uh it, loved uh it, loved it. And nine-year-old me loved all things superhero-y. Yes. This was a dream. Sat there tea time, I dropped my sausage sandwich. This was a dream. <laughs> because what? This is th- them this combined? Could, this, could only be more, this could only be more northern if it was then eaten by the whippet. <laughs> As I hadn't come in from school, I'd come in from the, the pit. Um... <laughs> Come come back in from sweeping the master's chimney. <laughs> um, the thing that fascinates... I'm going to go off on a tangent, which is very unlike me, but the thing that used to fascinate me as well about superheroes was their, was their transformation sequences. I yeah. loved the turning round and round of Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. I loved yes. the bat poles. I loved Superman ripping the shirt open or a phone box away. I loved yeah. that. So we've got superhero-y type thing going on mm-hmm. with the drag pack. We've got the change sequence when they go yep. wacko. And then we've got horror. What's not to like? Well, it turns out, after watching this episode, this episode. Before we get into this episode, <laughs> I do remember this. I remember this being on. Uh, I remember liking it. I remember watching it. And yet... Until tonight, I'd have been unable to recall what actually happened in the Drag Pack. Mm-hmm. After watching this episode, I now know that that's because pretty much nothing happens in the Drag Pack. Right. 
even at the very start where Dr. Dredd explains that he's going to drain all the colour from the entire world using this control array consisting of 20 round unlabeled buttons, the script doesn't bother going into why exactly. What's that going to do? How is this going to benefit Dr. Dredd? (laughs) Can I be honest? I did get... I got a a knock on my back door, which, to be fair, I've never been that lucky in a while. But when I was watching this... Ken, can we leave that in? uh, Yeah, he's not... Yeah, go on. That's uh, fine. When I was re-watching this for the purpose of this episode, I was filled with so much disdain for this pathetic plot. I went into the kitchen and I smashed every piece of crockery into my own face. (laughs) Because you're right, what... Draining colour. Yeah, it's like, well, okay. What's that about? I'm sure the world will adapt. What are you? Yeah. What? None of it. No, none of the actual sort of the episode plot makes any sense. It's a fantastic setup. I I used to enjoy this. I should love it now. Even making allowances for the fact that I'm no longer nine. I now have the brain of a twelve-year-old. Um, when the pack are captured, in it's best by the way uh dear listener click go to the go to peggybankpod.com go to the show notes click on the link watch the episode that way you'll know exactly what we're slagging off when the pack are captured and they're in this vat where all the liquid color from outside is being poured in don't ask yep they escape by reminding frankie how much he hates pink let's not go into that so that he rips through the ropes he gets really angry then he rips through the ropes that are tying him up this somehow means that the ropes that are surrounding the other two, Drac and Howler, are disintegrated as well. Mm-hmm. This means they can then do a high five, shout wacko, mm-hmm. transform into their horror sort of cells, precisely like they could have done at any point prior to being tied up. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just... There's a three-minute sketch about buying a checky suit. <laughs> and the, and the fellow's gone... The fellow's gone... There is... <laughs> To get the most out of this suit, you really need to see him in the daylight. Really? Why have you got it on a shop then? Why aren't you selling this on a market? No, no, no. Go on, go on. Stand <laughs> stand outside with your, with your checky jacket. Here it is. Look at that. And then it turns black and white. And Frankie, in his... I don't even know what accent is, is going on there. Um, Frankie's just like, yeah. well, I, I don't want to buy that because that's grey. That's not the same colours now. And you're like... And none of you are the slightest bit alarmed at what's just gone on. Do you just think he's shown you a black and white suit? I don't understand <laughs> what. You, yeah. uh, nah, nah. This is this three. These are three. I'm assuming they're teenagers. Uh, they are supposed. They are supposed to be teenagers. Yes. So yes. yeah, because I'm I'm surprised I didn't pick that up from the from the title sequence, which is so crammed full of exposition. You, you just you may as well have read the Hamlin Book of Horror in that short <laughs> bit of music. It's the entire content. Fair play. Anyway, fair play to the voiceover artist there. Yeah, the intro. You're lasts, not wrong. The intro lasts a minute, and the narration manages to point out on four separate occasions that they're bad guys doing good things. Yeah, it, that's in, right. What state was America in in 1980 that the parents had to be assured that the protagonist weren't about to go on a murder spree because they were monsters? Has has the script editor not seen a Hanna Barbera cartoon before? If it's about know, them, right? clearly they're going to be the goodies. Yeah, there was there wasn't anything around that was the opposite way. It's just constantly but now but now they do good. They they won't be biting any virgins on the feet, I promise you. No, 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 they're they're being very, very good and they're up against this bad man whose his name is Dredd. He is bad. Not like Judge Dredd, who started three years ago in England. He's good. But he's bad he's bad he's a bit bad guy, but he's a good 
bad. No, yes, he's not like that. He's called Dr. Dread, yes. Not Dr. Doom, not from Marvel, no. <laughs> don't, don't, Dr. Okay. Dread, we can, we can get that past compliance, yes. Jesus H. Although, although, you say the three of them did good. I'm not casting judgment here, but Howler, Howler smoked weed, didn't he? Almost certainly, all the time. Mind, mind you, judging by Frankie's voice, I think he just drinks a pint of testosterone for breakfast. Howler was baked off his fucking balls every moment. <laughs> oh dear! And and Frankie, uh, not Frankie, uh, Drax. Uh-huh. Is it Drax or Drac? Drac, I think. Drac Junior. Drac yeah. Junior. How preppy do you want to get him? Well, yeah. One rather gets the idea that uh, he doesn't sleep in a coffin but a closet. <laughs> uh, uh, especially when he answers to somebody called Big D. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What's going on? They've had a laugh when they've written this. Anyway, right, okay. So let's go to Dr. Dredd. Yeah. And Hans Conried, the voice, trivia fans, of Captain Hook in the Peter Pan and many other things, I will say. But I think that's probably one of his most high-profile works. Um and at the time, I remember thinking, I know this voice from somewhere. Yeah, it's bloody Captain Hook. That's who it is. Speaking of voices, Chuck McCann, uh-huh. who is the voice of Mummy Man. Yes. Well, there's, there's fucking easy money right there. <laughs> Imagine getting paid for going to work and saying this line. Hey, Chuck McCann. Yeah. This is your line. You say to Drag Junior, I'm going to belt you in the mouth. There you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Thanks very much, mate. Um, we'll get your hours put through and we'll get you paid. The fuck? That's how Mummy Man speaks. Reminds me very much of Young Frankenstein. Well, yeah. The putting on the Ritz sketch. Yes. Especially. Uh, yeah, there's Mummy Man fire. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Nah. I very much like the animation and the stylization here. And now, the, dear. I do, and... The writing, well, it's like, obviously Hanna-Barbera, at this point in 1980, they were churning them out. Sounds harsh, but they were churning them out. That's fine. Um, But they were very much, you know, leading the game with what they were doing. And the characters do look slightly different in this. They don't look like stock Hanna-Barbera characters that could have come out of any of their cartoons. They're slightly... Very true. They're more like their own thing. I like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the writing, the writing is absolutely atrocious. Drac Pack is a very neat licensing idea in desperate search of a storyline. So I think we know where this is heading. I think we do. How many garlic-dipped pegs are you going to place <laughs> upon the line? Garlic? <laughs> For me, hmm. it's a three out of nine. This looks good, but yeah. ultimately is a lacklustre waste of airtime. <laughs> uh, do you know what? Um uh, I hate to say, as a as a lover of the show at nine years old, this is a disappointing three as well. In retrospect, this is appalling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry to say. So there we are. But what I think all of our listener wants to know is mm. how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, I can put on my little cape and uh-huh. I can do a do a drac whack and I can go up the mountain in four. Okay. 
Alright, Drek Jr. is voiced by Jerry Dexter, who also appeared in 1967's The Reluctant Astronaut with Leslie Nielsen, who starred in the Dead Man's Gold episode of Murder, She Wrote, next to Angela Lansbury, who marpled up in 1980's The Mirror Cracked, alongside Charles Lloyd Pack, who starred in five episodes of The Larkins with... I give you my solemn oath, sissy! Fair play, fair play. Four is um, four's unusual around these parts. As it goes, mine is in four steps as well. Ah, go for it. Frankie is voiced by William Calloway, who had a small role in Annie Hall, a film which starred Christopher Walken, who was, of course, in Sleepy Hollow with... Michael Gambon, who was in 1973's Nothing But The Night with Sheila Fraser, who appeared in the Merry Christmas episode of George and the Dragon with Peggy Mount. I'm not cross. A spine-chilling result. With that, I'm all exhausted. I'm all I'm all wha- drac-whacked out, is what I am, right here and now. I need a bit of a rest. Should we buy some spooky things? Let's buy things. The unthinkable has happened. The impossible is now true. I've been brought to life in a horrifyingly real iced lolly from Walls. Get your fangs into the strangest lolly you've ever tasted. Before it's too late, Walls Dracula. It's really horrible. One of our monsters has dared the others to spend the night in haunted wood. They've got some monster munch, the only snack big enough to see them through the night ahead. Of course, they're too big to be scared, but even big, brave monsters get frightened. Sometimes. And this is one of those times. So it was all a big trick. Wasn't it? Okay. Time for this death carriage to roll off onto another little journey. What are we going to be looking at? Well, the countdown begins. Five, four... One was the Saturday Night Game Show, which began on ITV in 1978 and ran for 10 years. Produced by Yorkshire Television, it was presented by Ted Rogers, accompanied by the iconic Dusty Bin, an oversized radio-controlled anthropomorphised rubbish receptacle who was only prevented from upstaging the host by virtue of not being able to speak. The show begins with three couples taking part in a quiz to rack up cash, whereby the lowest-scoring pair is eliminated. It then moves to a more informal setting, where a series of theme variety acts are staged. After each one of these, the performer comes to the contestants and gives them a small prop, accompanied by a cryptic clue as to which star prize it represents. The players have to attempt to decode these and choose options to discard along the way because one of them is the dreaded booby prize, Dusty Bin. This is an actual metal bin, not the cool British version of RTD2 that's been belting around the studio floor, much to the audience's delight. Therein lies the jeopardy. 
The episode we're covering tonight is from the horror-themed Spine Chillers from 1982. Rogers is assisted by Fiona Curzon and Libby Roberts, with Mike Newman and Chris Emmett being the backbone of the comedy sketches. Although this appears to be Halloween-based, it's actually from March of that year, as each week was based on a different theme, and the series only ran from January to May in 1982. But don't worry, there are moments of genuine horror to be found within. And it's fucking nuts. <laughs> I mean, this this show is crazy when you think about it. Can we say, before we even get into this episode, can I just point out that there's something very Freudian about that door at the top of the set? <laughs> I can't believe... It isn't like a running thing that people have like noticed. But I'm watching this, thinking, really, that's this is the set they used every week, is it? Okay. I had never thought about that before. I had never (laughs) thought about that before. Well, obviously, I wouldn't wouldn't have noticed this is a nine-year-old, so that's fine. This is yeah. Little bit of context. Three, two, one started in 1978, and ITV threw everything at this show. Yeah, they threw big money at this show. This was your Saturday night. It was just absolutely... I mean, we've we've evolved. The show has evolved um, into a less humiliating experience for the contestants because when it first started, my goodness me, they would do it. They had them jumping through hoops, and I mean quite literally. The contestants <laughs> would have to do all kinds of physical tasks to win a place in the in the final, etc. It's a little bit more dignified now. Um, I favoured this because this this takes me back to an era of mum and dad going out on a Saturday night and I was being whisked away to my grandma's and watching this yeah. at my grandma's house and staying yeah. over at hers has a little bit of warmth about it, this show, for me. Although, okay. like so many others, you look back at it and think, what? Yeah, my initial impression when Ted Rogers comes out, starts to give a few sort of shout-outs to various groups that he knows are in the audience... It feels very much like a sofa salesman trying to score one more commission before the store closes because he's promised his bit on the side a weekend in Paris and he's just had to fork out for new school uniforms for the kids. The man drips in sincerity. He's so busy trying to look slick that he forgets he's supposed to be likeable as well. He is, and I'll tell you what, he's he's gone crackers with a hair dye. uh No, he speaks to, um, before he goes over to meet the contestants, he speaks to, um, how would you, I don't want to use the word hostess, that's dreadful. Is it assistance? Is that, is that how we can, well, he speaks to Libby Roberts, and that's sort of like, kind of fine. Again, he's sort of treating her kind of like eye candy. It's, you know what, mate, it's 1982, it's Saturday Night ITV, well, da-da-da-da-da. By the time he's over with the contestants, and Fiona Curzon comes on, he actually makes a purring noise. Yeah, oh, that yeah. that mate. is what Rogers does when the cameras are rolling. That's all I'm going to say, mate. You've no idea because when the show first started, <laughs> he would have a selection of beauties at his disposal. Right. They were they were collectively called the gentler sex. Oh dear God! And but sex, as in secretaries, so they'd all be in glamorous evening attire with large spectacles to give them that air of a administrative female. Um, and they would give him the questions, etc. And there was, there was, there was about there was a seven or eight of them. Uh, oh my God! Yes, there's definitely a high back armchair backstage somewhere. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
Yeah. I was concerned, <clears throat> to be fair, when he first came out of the uh, Freudian entrance. I thought he was going to smash his neck on the steps because the Cuban <laughs> heels on it. <laughs> the Cuban heels. I bet that's a four-inch stacked heel. Go for it, Teddy baby. <laughs> this, this, by the way, dear listener, is not just going to be a 15-minute attack on Ted Rogers. We are going to attack. No, it's not. We no. are going to attack the rest of the show as well. Uh, <laughs> I, yes. But I genuinely like Ted Rogers, actually, I have to say. Um, and so did the producers. They they, they busted guts to try and give him a... Um, I think that one show in particular, they finally managed to give him a song and dance routine, which he'd been asking for for quite some time. Cause, and they said, oh, Ted Rogers, great song and dance man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he finally got what he wanted in one of them. But uh, yeah, anyway, go on. I'm 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 pouring more um, gin. Sorry. Good lad. I, I need. I, it's mate. It, this, it's it's three, two, one, and it's Halloween. I need, I need all the gin I can get. In yeah. fact, it's, I'm yeah, a step. I'm true. a step away from intravenous here. Okay. So um, we move on to meet the contestants. Uh, we've got. Well, the, well, the bin comes out first of all, looking like Frankenstein. Yeah. Or or does it? Because that's the thing. This animatronic bin. The bin's fine. The bin, the bin is absolutely. Fine. I was in love with Dusty Bin as a kid. He was great. You look back now, you're like, it's literally a fucking radio controlled bin. They've made they've made the arms move, but come on. I have to confess something here, though. Go as on. a kid, I didn't quite get it. I thought when they won the bin, they actually won that robot. Yeah. And I wanted. Yeah, me as well. I wanted one of them. So it wasn't just me. So because yeah. I thought. I would if I was on that show. I'd be trying to win the damn bin. Yes, yes, exactly. If you were going to get an actual dusty bin, yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Please, that wasn't just me. Okay, I've lived with that secret for years. Fair enough. So we go over to the, the contestants. contestants and Hell's Tits, Hell's Tits. <laughs> Roger and Diane from Cleckheaton. Uh, hang on, God. hang on, hang on. We've got Martin and Michelle from Cheadle. <laughs> they're they're a bit odd, bless them, but they're they're fine. That's good. We've got Roger and Diane from Hunsworth. Now, Roger <laughs> Roger and Diane, their son has made them a card for them to show on the telly. And the card the card's got Dusty Bin on it. He's he's drawn this, right? Now With his arse. He's drawn that with his arse. No, no, you see you're a, you're on Team Ted now here now, aren't you? Cause I've got <laughs> rather than rather than Ted because he goes, Oh, let's have let's let's have a look at the card and Diane mm. holds up the card. Rather than mm. just saying how great it is, as a normal human would Ted waits about a beat too long and then goes, "How old is he? He might yeah. he might as well ask how the kids getting on in his remedial class." You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Hey, Ted, man, have a, just a bit of dignity, just you know, a, bit, bit of just, tact." Just accept it, Ted. Don't judge. This is not you're not Tony Hartflower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, he asks um, he says to Diane, "Oh, what what sort of hobbies do you have?" And she goes, "Keep fit, and I like pop music." Mm. Now I am like, mate, best one in the world. Neither of those are hobbies. One of them right. something you do. One of them something you like. It's not you know pop music isn't a hobby unless you're a DJ. <laughs> Come on, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, then we're on to Graham and Pauline from uh, Langford. Before, well, well, before can we go back okay, to no, Roger, sorry, yeah. please? Because Roger, Roger, Roger. Let me just point out that no, Roger is the assistant let, to the regional director. He is. He's important people. He's of, important people. The of pride an, of an that international man, photographic firm. Of an international, the pride that he has when he says that. I thought the man was going to burst all over the screen. He's over the moon. I think he shouts that from his patio doors. Yeah, yeah, no, um, he's, so, he's he's fucking he's well chilled for this job. Fair he's play, over the fair moon. Play, fair play to him. <laughs> and then we're on to 
Graham and Pauline from Langford. Now, these are the ones who have an amusing story about looking at a house where it was advertised at the patio, but it was actually just two slabs of concrete outside the back door. But they still went ahead That's and right. bought their house anyway, so I'm not altogether sure who the arsehole is meant to be in this. <laughs> right, exactly, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Fucking hell. And, uh, yeah, Graham's asked what he does. And was it was he doing something in electronics? And it's like electronics testing. Yeah. And you can tell from the edit that's been performed with a rock that he starts to explain his job in great detail and they've just fucking, <laughs> they've just cut him off and gone straight back to Ted and like walking up Ted and going, right, carry on now, please. Yes. Eee, yes. God. And straight after that, we get, a, we get a wide shot and we once again get a good look at the stacked heels that Ted's wearing. <laughs> just, they're four inch. They're four inch. The man is so, ha- he, he's practically, he can lick the atmosphere. <laughs> that man. Great. I love it, mate. And the grey as well. Grey. Brilliant. So anyway, the quiz round. Generally speaking, it's a completing the words. Sort of, mm-hmm. that's your, that's your modus operandi here. It's a decent idea. The first round of a quiz, it's isn't a, it? I think, I'll be honest with you now, I love the format of this. It's it is superb. Perfectly serviceable. But they are, they're belting through it like it's a contractual obligation. <laughs> Ted, well, they are. Ted has no fucking interest in the quiz. No. None. And the minute they get the minute they get an answer wrong, well, like they'll mm. get it wrong, and they you'll give him like he's got thirty seconds. He'll just go like, "All oh, right, horror actors. If I say Christopher, you say Lee. Christopher Lee, and then they're off. Dum 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 dum. And if they don't know who Peter Laurie is, he'll read them out at the end. He'll go, Peter Laurie. Every fucking asshole knows that. You don't though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely shames them. They're they're under studio lights. I'm not. I'm not having a go at them. It sounds like, but I'm not. You know, it's there. It's the pressure of the moment. They're in Yorkshire, Tele- Yorkshire Television. They're having a big day. Come on. Being asked piss easy questions and, and they crumble. Well, no, no, no. You see, because like the second half, the first half is like uh, completing people's names. Oh. In the second half of the quiz, the next round, he just says, complete like, the math. Com- complete the mathematical equation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just goes like, right. All these words are going to start with SC. So you're like, oh, right, okay, all of a sudden the contestants have got to recalibrate their brains. Oh, I don't have to remember celebrities now. I've got to think about normal words. Now, he goes, uh, a piece of leftover wood. And the guy's like, don't know. So he's reading that one out in the end. He goes, Ted's, he's doing the answers. He goes, uh, now, a piece of leftover wood is scrap. No, it fucking isn't, Ted. A piece of leftover yeah, right. metal might be scrap. Not a piece of leftover wood. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, goes on to the next one. So he's doing RE this time. And he goes, uh... A cure for an illness. And they, they don't get it. He's reading out the answers and he's like, A cure for an illness is a remedy. No, it fucking isn't, Ted. A remedy just alleviates the symptoms. A cure for an illness is, sit down for this, a cure. Who the fuck wrote this? <laughs> they deliberately never start around where all oh, these words are going to begin with AR because everyone's just be like, Arsehole? Just look at, him, <laughs> just look at him dead in the eye. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that so, exceptional format to yes. one side. And yeah. they, they can win quite a bit of money, provided they aren't, and I quote, thick as shit. Fair play to them. I've said they were belting through this. It does take up 15 minutes of the show. You know, they're giving yeah, it plenty yeah. of time. I'll, yeah, you know, but they they rush through all of it. After the quiz round, we um we have an ad break. Then it's into the sketches, proving that you, you don't need punchlines to be a comedy writer at Yorkshire Television or any joke structure at all. Uh, in the company, in the company of Henry McGee, we rake over the calls of classic horror tropes. A bit rich coming from this episode of the podcast, I know. 
I'm, 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 well, I'm just going to say right now, the sweep down the stairs from Henry McGee as Dracula was uh-huh. glorious. Again, it's John John Eamon at his best. <laughs> it, it was absolutely <laughs> glorious. And I know he had teeth, but Henry McGee always looks like he's left them at home. Yes. <laughs> but it he, he was absolutely amazing in that. A nice touch, actually, which I would have done. I would have loved if he'd been followed by Honey Monster with bolts through his neck. I think that would have been great. Cracking bit of product placement for the ITVs. It would have been absolutely fantastic, was... but I'm pretty sure that Dusty Bin wouldn't have allowed it because he'd have been upstaged. Bin up. <laughs> well, that's but just yeah, no, it would, it would have been... Even if yeah. they just made like a shit version of the Honey Monster. Dying yeah. green. Just dying green. And they'd be like, it's not the same, you can't sue us. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Henry McGee as a cult of Dracula. Very uh-huh. good, very good. I mean, cue every single horror cliche and convention squeezed into every joke ever. Oh, not even not even in a sort of self-knowing, ironic way. It's just no. there. It's just yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. dropped in there wholesale. And as mentioned, there are no jokes to show for any of it. it it's just basically laughing, laughs from familiarity. Oh, I, I get that reference. That must be funny. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> that, I, I, and I know, I know that is a pet hate of yours. Fair we play. get to the uh, we uh, we grind to the end of that. Henry we goes do. over to the contestants area with a candle snuffer and a. Uh, I was going to say cryptic, not a nonsensical rhyme. Listener, you know the score. It could mean fucking anything. They're go- they're literally going to make it up the minute the contestants get close to winning something expensive and just change it. Uh, I swear to yeah. God, every yeah. one of these clues has three different meanings, and they just tell Ted in his earpiece which one to read out. Yep. I'm convinced that happened, yeah. Yes. Uh, And then we're on to Mike Newman and Chris Emmett with a song and dance number about being vampire bats. Now, you might think, I don't know any songs about vampire bats. And at the end of it, Ted Rogers basically goads Chris Emmett into admitting that he wrote the song in a way Mm -hmm. that feels less like a congratulation and more like him being outed into taking the blame. That's right. That's right. That's right. It is fucking excruciating. As is the dance routine by the yes. resident house house dancers, Lipstick. Yes. Which feels, Pardon. there's something very Alan Partridge about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Um, and the next scene, is the next scene the hunchback scene after the bats? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah, next up we get uh, another half-written sketch with uh, Mike Newman and Fiona Curzon uh, comes on to act. Uh, to, to, to act yeah. as Esmeralda, uh, Norman I- Chapel pops up with a half decent impersonation of David Bellamy. I've got to say, you thought um, that was half decent. Young I- people, ask your parents. Uh, <laughs> you thought that was. Ha- I'm sorry. You know what? No, Lenny I- Henry's version was better than that. I did spend. Maybe it's because I'm not constantly looking up clips of David Bellamy, but I did spend the first thirty seconds thinking, "Have they got David Bellamy?" Actually. I will confess, I thought that for the first maybe ten seconds, and okay, that's just purely okay. down to that's was down to the makeup, not the voice. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. we're back to the table. Clue goes down. We get a quick quiz question, and then Martin and Michelle are eliminated. They They're out. Home, they go. They go home with just over three hundred pounds, uh, a ceramic dusty bin, which again is probably more worth more now than anything they fucking anyone else ever won. You could um, buy them in Argos. And the the bit I particularly liked, a set of twelve steak knives. That looked like the handles were made out of slugs. <laughs> Twelve knives. How Twelve. fucking many people do Yorkshire Television think that Martin and Michelle are inviting over for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck needs 12 steak knives? <laughs> anyway, we move on to magician 
Jeffrey Atkins. Yep, me neither. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's 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 above Henry McGee on the bill. Well, you know, not to skip too far ahead, we do get to the bit where he comes over at the table afterwards, and he is acting like people know who he is. I, I he like is? that. I respect that. Oh, that man's got bollocks. <laughs> We're going to get letters from the Jeffrey Atkins podcast now. Yeah, of course we are. <laughs> All right, because I was thinking, oh, God, sewing the woman in half. No, 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 no. No, let's set fire to her and leave a skeleton. Yep. I thought that was a nice twist. I'll be honest. Well, I've got this. He does his, like, incinerating a live woman trick. Oh, yeah, uh, the old one, yeah. Even though because you can see the flames through the sides of the box, you can. through the slits, yep. it's blindingly fucking obvious that there's no one lying in there. Well, yeah. And also, <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if you noticed when they opened the box, you could see the little funnel of where the flames were coming out. Um, yeah, like a, I, like a mini a mini Bunsen burner in the middle of this box. Yeah, yeah. I suspect this worked better for everyone about a hundred feet away in the studio audience. <laughs> I suspect this worked better in the dark. <laughs> Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey goes over to the table. Graham and Pauling they're the only ones left now. They get rid of the bin at this point, so they know they're going they to win. They do. They do because the bin is the most horrific um, prize that you could possibly win. Anyway, going from something absolutely vile, monstrous and horrific to... So next, Ted brings on a musical item. So someone doing a very bad impersonation of Jimmy Savile runs through a pun-filled chart down before introducing a Frankenstein-themed cover of Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen performed by Dave Lee Travis and Mike Reed. Then when the pair go over to the contestants area after the song, Rogers comedically mistakes them for Rolf Harris and Cliff Richard, and our legal team have told us that we have absolutely nothing to say about any of this, so let's move on. So from that, what happens next? So from that, we're on the home straight now. Graham and Pauline are whittling down the clues they don't like. Uh, They get rid of an installation of double glazing and a holiday to Transylvania. Rogers is bleating on about, you didn't think it was a real place? Well, it is. It isn't. It isn't. <laughs> so, Graham and Pauline, they're hoping for a car. They're going through this clue, and they're like, that, that sounds very much like a car. Well, what, what, what do they get? They get a, a small wall-mounted case clock and a pair of watches to go with the £350 from the quiz. What a fucking result for Yorkshire Television! <laughs> the camera... The camera starts to shake with the sheer force of the finance department high-fiving each other in the office next <laughs> yes, door. Yes, it, yes it Fucking does. Fucking result. We've done the whole show for under £500. She d- well, uh, well, it shakes with the vibrations of the finance department and and her Pauline's temper. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm glad I've got a watch because now I can see that it's time to fucking belt Ted Rogers. She's about to go fucking nuclear. That's what... She's absolutely stotten. And, and rightly so. Like I say, this clue could have been fucking anything. Ted's literally got a voice in his ear going, give them the watches. <laughs> Make sure you read out the bit that says it's not a thousand pound. Dear, dear God. <laughs> it, it, it's a watch. It's definitely got silver on it. It's not worth as much as the candlesticks. That's why we mentioned them. 
Oh, no way. Nah. A pendulum clock and gold watches absolutely fucking gutted. And much like the... Uh, much like the candlesticks, the best use for these watches is probably setting fire to them. <laughs> Bullseye had its speedboat. This, this is another level. It is. It certainly is. To be fair, Bullseye had its charm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it did. Oh my god, what a ride. So where are we at? Where are we at at the end of this most horrific of nights? How many pegs on the line for 3-2-1? Well, rather than me just reading you my score, how about I get it out of this envelope and see if you can work it out? For entertainment on a Saturday night, the Germans mm. know it's drastic. With Brad and Morgan in their sights, it's got to be fantastic. Ooh. Now, before I go Ooh. into it, any ideas? Um... Is it a whisk? Is it a whisk? Okay, well, entertainment is the name of the game. We know that for mm -hmm. a start. But what mm -hmm. is it that the Germans know? Well, the German word for no is nine. Could this score be a nine? <laughs> well, what about the next part? Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, they starred in the film Seven. Could that be how many pegs were thrown up? Not likely. How about that last section? Is 3-2-1 fantastic? Well, that's clearly not the case, so perhaps this takes us back to the cartoon origins of this very episode. Fantastic as in Reed Richards, The Invisible Woman, The Thing and The Human Torch. Yes, this episode of 3-2-1 gets an unfantastic, yet still frankly generous, four. There you go. There you go. That was beautifully done. That was beautifully done. What about yourself, Dr. Velvet? Okay. I thought along the same lines as you. Let's see if you can work it out. Go on. From this. Take the plunge, don't lounge about. Pas de regrets, just stride and shout. A taste of spice can be like heaven, all the way from 97. Any thoughts? Is it a year's supply of sausage rolls? <laughs> it isn't, it isn't. That's not a bad guess. Okay, okay. Right, well, let's explain it. Let's, let's see what it says. So to take the plunge is to literally jump into water, or it can mean to try something new. And we're being told not to be lazy. Now, Mr Lazy from the Mr Men hated swimming. And he was 22 Clem, thanks to sloth and chips. So, could the score be 22? Well, no, because we each only have nine pegs. Then, we have pas de regrets. French for no regrets. So right there, we have a French connection. French connection, which was a film starring the Gene Hackman, who was famous in Hollywood for owning three pairs of spectacles. Could it be three? I wonder. To stride and shout could be shortened to march, like the soldiers do on the telly. So that could mean something very, very important. And then we've got some heavenly spice from 97. Well, number 97 is the house number where Audrey de Lapp sold contraband bags of Bombay mix. In my auntie's street. During the BBC technician strike of 1832. But... If you put all this together and took the plunge in the comfort of your lounge to swim to France, you'd be crossing the channel. And if you crossed the channels on your telly in March 1997, you'd see the Spice Girls launching the brand new TV station, Channel 5. Yes, it's five. I think that's very understanding. <laughs> that's the kind of guy I am. Well. So, with that in mind, let us rest not upon our laurels and see... How many steps it's going to take to go up the mountain? Yourself? Well, that last section took so much time, I'm going to have to do this in one. Oh, look at you. Go on, then. 
This episode of 321 stars Norman Chappell, who appeared in a 1963 episode of The Larkins with Peggy Mount. Where's the goldfish in your bag? There's no buggering about there, is there? Absolutely none whatsoever. Good. What about yourself, young man? Also in one. Go for it. Okay, featuring in this particular outing of 321 is Dave Lee Travis, who appeared on the anecdotal chat show Tell Me Another in a 1979 episode which also starred Peggy Man. Oh, that's lovely. Lovely stuff. Absolutely, which brings us rather neatly to the end of this, the first in a triumvirate of Halloween specials for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. You can get us via a Ouija board or also on the socials. Yes, thanks once again for creeping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or we're at PeggyManPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go over to PeggyManPod.com, check out the show notes for this episode. It's as simple as that, it really is. All right, we're going to be back sooner than expected. So check the socials as done, because the next episode is right around the corner. Oh, and also, leave a review on iTunes. That'd be nice. Yeah, nobody's done that yet. Five stars, please. (laughs) Or leave a lower star review, but make sure you mention in your view that we asked you to leave five stars. But please do leave five stars. Or go for a different angle. Just be clever. Be that person and just leave us a really fucking shit review. If you leave, if you want to leave a one star review, do that to a different podcast and then leave us a five star review. That would be, you can take your anger out on someone else. Just a podcast you haven't listened to, that would be fine. Or give us a really fucking bad one and we'll send you a t shirt. <laughs> a really bad review, but with five stars and we will send you a t shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, you can't argue with that. Yes, so go for yes. it. Five, five stars and fucking slate us. Do it. And, and we've got three T-shirts to give away. That's all I'm saying. Any more than yeah. that, you know, we can't be held responsible for that. So, yeah. I know for a fact, I've got to say that because I know we've got four listeners. So. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, there'll be fucking hell on here. So, yeah, good. <laughs> all right. That's it. The first of the Halloween specials. The second one coming up soon on the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Remember, keep mowing. The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iPull Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com.